Yes, don't worry, we haven't forgotten the reading. Uh, we'll have that in a few moments. But before we do so, I, I would just like to say a few things by way of introduction. Uh, if you were here last week, you would recall that we looked at Joseph's rise to become vizier of Egypt. In other words, the person through whom Pharaoh ruled the whole land. And also, how he prepared Egypt for the coming famine. Now, if this was a story of rags to riches, a simple rags to riches story, then that would be the climax of it, wouldn't it? Uh, in fact, Tim Rice wrote in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at this point, this could be a happy ending, perfect place to stop the show. Joseph, after all, has got about as far as he could go. And it's true. Uh, incidentally, however, I do suggest you don't take your theology from uh, Tim Rice. Uh, the lyrics immediately before that go like this. Uh, greatest man since Noah only goes to Shoah. Anyone from anywhere can make it if they get a lucky break. Now, I hope if you've been attending this sermon series, you will have noticed that is not what Genesis says. In fact... Genesis isn't really primarily concerned with Joseph's rise at all. It's concerned with far bigger issues. And it's those bigger issues that we're going to be looking at today and indeed in coming weeks. You see, the famine which had hit Egypt, of course, affected the surrounding lands as well. And that included Canaan. Canaan, where Joseph's father, Jacob, and his 11 other brothers lived, and they were threatened with famine. And so Jacob sent 10 of the 11 other sons, uh, the exception, incidentally, was Benjamin. We'll come back to the reason for that. He sent his 10 sons down to Egypt to buy grain. And at that point, we pick up the story. Cue reading. So we do pick it up, and we pick it up from Genesis chapter 42, starting at verse 6, and we're going to go on to chapter 43, verse 15. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, he didn't, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, no, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. 
Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And this they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. And then he came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on the donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, They told him all that had happened to them, and they said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. And their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death. If I do not bring him back to you, entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. 
But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had a younger brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria. Before we look at that, let's pray. Father, as usual, we seek your help in learning from your written word. Through it, please transform our thinking and transform our lives. Amen. Okay, well, let's start by thinking about Joseph's brothers. They were sheep farmers from Canaan, and they found themselves in the presence of the vizier of the greatest nation on earth, 
they must have been scared. They must have felt helpless. They didn't, of course, recognise Joseph. They'd last seen him more than 20 years earlier when he'd been a teenager. And I suspect he looked rather different, particularly in all the finery of Pharaoh's representative. And they must have been terrified when he accused them of being spies, because those who were spies were liable to summary execution. So how did they react to that? Well, first of all, of course, they pleaded with Joseph, said he, they, he was wrong, pleaded for him to understand they were who they said they were. But that wasn't the most important part of their reaction. Take a look, if you've got it open, at verse 21 of chapter 42. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, uh, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come on us. They suddenly had guilty consciences about what they'd done to Joseph. Perhaps on occasions over the years their consciences had been troubling them. Perhaps they thought about Joseph when they started going down to Egypt because they remembered they'd sold him, uh, sold Joseph to Midianite traders and those traders had taken him to Egypt. Perhaps it was just in their fear all this came flooding into their minds. Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that their guilt had serious consequences. First of all, did you know the brothers began to fall out with one another? Verse 22, Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. Uh, Didn't I tell you? It was your fault. I didn't do that. Well, actually there was some justification for what Reuben said. He didn't actually agree to them selling Joseph to the Midianites. But uh, Reuben conveniently forgot that he had conspired with the other brothers to lie to their father and disguise what happened to Joseph. So he was not guiltless. But in any event, the brothers were falling out. Secondly, their guilt had destroyed their father's trust in them. It's clear that Jacob rather suspected foul play in relation to Joseph. A few moments ago, I mentioned that only ten brothers had gone down to Egypt because Jacob wouldn't allow Benjamin to go with them. He explained that by saying that he feared that harm would come to Benjamin, who was the youngest of the brothers. But but just a minute, why should harm come to Benjamin and not to the others? Why was he so concerned about Benjamin and not the others? Well, I suspect at least part of the explanation is that Benjamin was the only full brother of Joseph, the only other son of Rachel, Jacob's very evidently favourite wife. And I think it's likely that what Jacob thought was that the other brothers might be jealous of Benjamin as they had been of Joseph, and that the harm to Benjamin would come from those other brothers, not from anyone else. Of course, Jacob didn't know what had actually happened to Joseph, but what had happened had destroyed his relationship with his other sons. 
It's interesting that when the brothers returned after their visit to Egypt and spoke to their father, telling him what had happened, their father replied like this, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. Wow, just a minute. He wasn't the only one left. All of the nine of them in front of him were his sons. That wasn't true. But the only one he was counting as his son was Benjamin. This had destroyed his relationship with his sons. It's sometimes said that there's honour amongst thieves, but it's a lie. Sin destroys relationships. Sin sets people against one another. It destroys trust. And above all, it destroys our relationship with God. I wonder if you noticed what we're told about the brothers' reaction when the silver was discovered in the sack of one of them. Don't worry, I'll read it. Verse 28. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? Extraordinarily, that is the first time in the whole narrative in Genesis about Joseph's family in which the brothers refer to God. They don't seem to think about him until there's a problem and then they realise, rightly, that God is angry with them. Now, I hope the lesson from all of this is pretty obvious because our sin destroys our relationships as well. And if we do wrong, especially if we harm someone and perhaps uh, don't disclose that to those affected by it, then we need to take action. We need to take action to restore the relationships that have been harmed and especially to restore our relationship with God. This passage we're looking at today doesn't talk about how we do that, but, but at very least, I trust we're all aware that that requires that we acknowledge our guilt as the brothers were beginning to do and to repent of it. Uh, That appears to have been coming to the brothers, though not yet fully formed. Let's move on and have a look at Joseph. It must have been incredible for Joseph to see his brothers out of the blue after more than 20 years. And whilst they didn't uh, recognise him, he recognised them. It was probably easier for Joseph. They probably hadn't changed very much over those 20 years. And besides, how many families present themselves before you with 10 brothers? Furthermore, when they bowed down before him, he naturally thought of those dreams that he'd had all those years before. Eleven sheaves of corn bowing down before his sheaf. The sun and moon and eleven stars bowing down before his star. There must have been a great temptation to take revenge. Or at least to lord it over the brothers in vindictive triumph. And to begin with, he did things 
that some might have thought showed that that is exactly what he was going to do. He spoke harshly to them. He accused them of being spies. He imprisoned them. And then he basically took Simeon hostage. But but we're told other things which show that that's not the full story. First of all, did you notice when talking to the brothers, he said, for I fear God. He was conscious of God uh, being uh, his overseer. He wasn't talking about God, fearing God in the way that the brothers feared God, feared the consequences of their actions. Joseph was saying that he recognised he was accountable to God. And, And then secondly, he behaved generously towards the brothers. He allowed them to go back and he gave them silver back. Thus they effectively didn't pay for the grain. And did you notice also that when he heard them talking about him, he turned away and wept. He was overcome by the recollection of all of that and indeed what they were saying about him. And perhaps most important of all, he set them a test that he knew they could pass, assuming, that is, that they hadn't been lying to him. So what was he trying to do? Well, some people suggest that he was playing a carrot-and-stick game to establish psychological dominance over them. But he didn't need to do that. They were starving. They'd come to him as supplicants. And his actions aren't consistent with that. Other people suggest that he was simply dithering. And, of course, he did change his mind early on. When he first met the brothers, he said he was going to keep them all imprisoned and just allow one of them to go back to Canaan. And then he flipped it and said, no, all right, I'll release all of you and I'll just hold back Simeon. But I think there's a much better explanation than that. Just think about what Joseph knew. He hadn't seen his brothers for 20 years, more than 20 years. He didn't know whether in that time they had gone from bad to worse. Of course, he'd heard certain things which were gently encouraging, but those things also showed that there were an awful lot of issues still to be worked through. And Joseph didn't know whether he could trust them. Simply saying, I'm Joseph, I forgive you, wouldn't have actually removed that mutual suspicion between them, nor would it have dealt with the underlying issues in Jacob's family that I've already alluded to and which we can see in in the reading today. So Joseph did something else. He set the brothers a test in a way that displayed grace. I've already pointed out that that test was one that the brothers could pass, assuming that they were honest. And of course, he released all the brothers, and as I've said, he gave them their money back. And in doing that, he took a risk. Uh, Because based on their track record, there was quite a good chance that they would pocket the money, spin some yarn to their father about Simeon having sadly died while they were in Egypt, and never be seen again. And if that had happened, 
Joseph certainly wouldn't have looked very good before his officials and, who knows, before Pharaoh as well. He was actually showing grace in behaving as he did. And then, when they returned, we didn't hear this in our reading, by the way, uh, because uh, we didn't have, a, have time to go right to the end of chapter 43. But when they returned, he immediately released Simeon and then invited the brothers to a big banquet at his personal villa. Joseph was seeking reconciliation with his brothers on a basis that was secure. He put the whole family through a trial for the good of everybody. Uh, We're going to see the full effect of that in coming weeks, but we already see some of it in our reading today. We saw how immediately the brothers' consciences were stirred and how, perhaps for the first time for a long time, their minds turned to God. And of course, they didn't pocket the money. They brought it back. And they didn't abandon Simeon. And what's more, contrary to Jacob's fears, they didn't harm Benjamin. In fact, Reuben and Judah both stood surety for for his safety, effectively. They both guaranteed him from harm. Now, Jacob himself, to begin with, was cantankerous. It was beautifully read by, uh, by Victoria, but I have a feeling, if you read the words, that he was a bit stroppy uh, uh, about the whole thing. And definitely the exchange between him and Judah has a lot of tension uh, in it. He was also somewhat self-centred about the whole thing, if you read it carefully. And, and that cantankerousness threatened the whole reconciliation project because he wouldn't let the brothers go back. But his hand was forced by the continuing famine. If he didn't allow them to go back, then they were going to starve or they'd have to actually go back to Mesopotamia, presumably. So he did allow them. And so the scene was set for the next stage of the reconciliation project. Uh, Incidentally, if you read on in chapter 43, you will also see that when the brothers got back, their attitudes were subtly changing. Yes, they began fearful, but once they were reassured about the money and Simeon was released, we don't hear anything more about fear. We hear that they were astonished at the banquet, but they sound as though they had a pretty good time there. We're told that they feasted and drank freely with Joseph. (coughs) The reconciliation was beginning. So what is it that we should take away from this? What should we remember in it? Of course, there is no direct teaching for us in this, but it's written for our instruction. What things should we remember? Well, uh, first of all, and most simply, When someone has done wrong, it may take more than simply saying, I forgive you, let's forget it, to deal with the resulting issues. I'm not suggesting that what Joseph did is a model for us that we should be following in in all sorts of situations. We should certainly bear it in mind, but, but, but that's not the point. We are, however, called upon to forgive those who seek our forgiveness. But in addition, we should always ask ourselves, 
what is necessary to bring about the full restoration of relationships in this situation? Relationships with one another and relationships with God. That's point one. Point two. It wasn't just Joseph who was seeking reconciliation uh, among the members of Jacob's family. It was God. You see, Joseph was God's agent in relation to that, but he wasn't the sole agent. Extraordinarily, God was using other means, including the famine itself, to bring about that reconciliation. Think about it for a moment. If there had been no famine, the brothers would not have gone to Egypt. And if the famine hadn't continued, Jacob's hand wouldn't have been forced, and Benjamin would never have been permitted to go to Egypt. You see, God was overruling in relation to this. He afflicted Jacob's family for their own good. And here's the key. He may afflict us for our own good as well. I'm sure that famine uh, was very painful for Jacob's family. But as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. Once again, to be clear, we shouldn't assume that all suffering is as a result of things we've done wrong and that we have something to repent. There are many causes of suffering. But what we should remember is that if we are Christian, if we love the Lord Jesus, then no suffering is purposeless. No suffering is purposeless. Uh, This is what Paul wrote in Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And he was certainly doing that in the case of Jacob's family, though they probably couldn't see it at the time, and maybe not for a long time afterwards. But there is more. Because you see, God wasn't simply working for the good of Jacob and his family. He was working out far broader purposes in salvation. As I'm sure most of you, or many of you at least, are aware, after Jacob's family had gone down to Egypt, they were to be there for many years. And that is exactly as uh, God had told Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, in a dream. This comes from Genesis 15. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You see, Jacob's family going to Egypt was to lead to further and still greater suffering. And that suffering, in turn, was going to lead to a greater salvation. And that greater salvation was to point forward to the greatest salvation in in Jesus Christ. And I hope that makes us reflect on our own position You see, of course, like the brothers, 
we have all done wrong and continue to do wrong. That's why we said a confession at the beginning of the service. Like the brothers, we all need to acknowledge our guilt. And like the brothers, we all need grace. Not Joseph's grace, God's grace. Ultimately, it's because of what Jesus has done for us that reconciliation and restoration of relationships between us and with God is possible. And that's all a matter of grace. So when we look at this story of Jacob and his family, we shouldn't simply reflect on how we respond when we've done wrong or how we respond when we've been wronged, although we should do that. No, we should, above all, reflect on how God has responded to our wrongdoing. He's responded in grace. Let's remember that. Amen.